Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube to see channels for CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. We also have a Twitter account. It's at Fenton Mediation, so follow us. Our topic tonight is called Defining Workplace Conflict as an Occupational Health Hazard, Its Impact on Health and Safety, with our visitor, Janice Martell. Jenny D'Alessandro Padula is here tonight, the co-host. So Jenny's here. Hi, Jenny. Hello, everyone. Hi, Greg. How have you been? I'm very good. Thank you for asking. I'm really glad to be here this evening and looking forward to speaking about uh, defining the workplace conflict as an occupational health hazard. Really, really interesting stuff. Janice's birthday is today. Oh! (laughs) So, Janice, you're on air now. Happy birthday with awesome people. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Janice. Happy birthday to you. Right on. That's the first actual song that I've gotten today, so thank you. (laughs) We can do another one here. <laughs> we want to treat people right here. Right on. All right. So thanks for uh, calling in and taking the time, and we're going to have a good conversation on defining workplace conflict as an occupational health hazard, its impact on health and safety. And so why don't you start off a little bit by giving some information about your professional background, please. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I think this is a really important topic. Um, my education basically is in social sciences, so I took law and psychology in university. Uh, spent most of my career working for social service agencies, so uh, child welfare, social assistance, uh, mental health, addictions, uh, trauma work, which really interests me. Um, I'm actually a registered psychotherapist, which is a fancy word for basically talk therapy, so I've done counseling. Um, and currently I'm working as an occupational health coordinator. Um, basically mapping out health issues in a group of workers. Okay, and uh, I met you here initially through another friend who has labor news on Thursday night in English, Fortunato Rao, and I thought you presented yourself in such a way. You were speaking specifically on a particular initiative that was core to how you uh, have gone through your life a lot, the McIntyre Powder Project. Is there some of that you can just share? Yeah, um, basically it's a, it's a justice project that I started to document health issues in miners or mine workers um, and factory workers as well who were required by their employers to inhale um, finely ground aluminum dust, which was known as McIntyre powder. Um, it was supposed to prevent a lung disease called silicosis, but that's not what happened. Um, my dad was one of the affected miners, so he had to breathe this in every shift before he went underground. Um, to coat his lungs, and uh, he ended up uh, developing Parkinson's, and he died um, in May of 2017 from Parkinson's. Um, He had no family history of Parkinson's, and I really questioned whether the Parkinson's was caused by breathing in aluminum, which is uh, known to be a neurotoxin. So um, 
the workers' compensation system denied any connection, and I founded this McIntyre Powder Project to try to find answers about those health effects and um, of the aluminum dust on the workers who were exposed to it. So I basically started a voluntary registry for people to kind of map out um, what kinds of health issues they were experiencing, and that's just grown. Other partners have come on board, and um, the Occupational Health Clinic for Ontario Workers is is doing you know um, a, a huge mapping project of this. Um, steel workers and other labor organizations got behind it, supported it. Um, Opsure, the former uh, um, member of the Ontario Public Service Employees Union, they really support this. So it's uh, it's really grown in leaps and bounds. And there's researchers now getting on board, looking at uh, at what um, the aluminum dust may have, have done to the workers. So it's it's grown and it's kept me busy. <laughs> Sounds like a really important project, and I'm sorry for your dad's passing. Thank you. He's been very important in this because he's inspired you and now us to have a conversation. And so tonight we are focusing on workplace with our with our conversation today. Um, what types of things do you try to encourage to happen in an ideal workplace? For me, um, I think it's about respect. And, I mean, you're not going to get everything you want. The employer is not going to get everything they want. But I think that it's um, creating an environment that is mutually respectful, that's in, inclusive. Yes. Um, I think, it, you know, having a seat at the table is important um, to have people's voices heard and divergent voices heard. Due process is a thing for me. I, I think having access to a fair system, a balanced process of conflict resolution, um, mm-hmm. and just creating a safe workplace, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it. You, you mentioned about uh, diverse um, perspectives in a workplace, though, you know, many uh, employers really see solely through their own lens and are not necessarily as inclusive of the range and uh, personalities in the room or in the, in the space, in the culture, in the environment. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you see that as, as something that does impact the culture of the workplace? Absolutely. If, um, I mean, I think we all, you know, I came from Northern Ontario. It's pretty sheltered. There's not a whole lot of diversity in in um, culture, in color, in um, experience, religious um, differences, that sort of thing. There's, there's not the kind of um, diversity that you might see in a larger center. And, um, you know, I can learn a lot from other cultures and diverse points of view and and that sort of thing and um, I I think it's important to have a workplace that encourages uh, divergence in, in thinking. It, I think it shows more creativity and leads to more productive ideas. Do you see a difference uh, as well in a union environment relative to a non-union environment? Yeah, I mean, I for sure. Um, the last workplace that I was at, I actually... Um, um, participated in in unionizing it um, and I think you know if you have an employer who where you have a seat at the table where there's some balance and equity in in conversations in um, working through conflict then um, you know maybe a union isn't needed but when that doesn't happen um, when there's really no seat at the table and no voice uh, I think a union brings 
a balance to that um, power differential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by health and safety issues in the workplace? For me, I think that it's a, a range of, of things. There's certainly, you know, sort of physical hazards, I think, is what we all think of. Yes. You know, things that affect your five senses, whether it's, you know, uh, noise, the level of noise if you're looking at, you know, industrial plants and that sort of thing, yes. um, and how that might affect your health, um, you know, dangers in terms of uh, do you have a good fire safety code? Can you get out of the building? I worked in, as having worked in social services in, in some, you know, fairly uh, high conflict areas such as child welfare, mm-hmm. um, just having a cell phone, having the ability to to call if you're in need having you know going to i went to homes in back roads you know investigating child welfare concerns um where there was no cell service uh i was doing it at a time when there were no cell phones (laughs) um you know you get stuck somewhere uh it's very dangerous so having those kinds of um health and safety things there's there's sort of sort of physical hazards and um you know air temperature and do you have uh, um, good air exchange and ventilation, different things like that. But there's a lot of other, um, you know, maybe less obvious things like mental, emotional hazards. Yes. The things that, you know, affect your well-being, stability, your mental, emotional health. Um, Do you feel engaged? Do you feel like you have a voice? Um, Are people yelling at each other at work or... Is there put-downs? Is there a lot of manipulation? Those are the kinds of stresses that I think we're talking about when we talk about toxic workplaces. Um, you know, environmental hazards, personal security. Uh, when you're looking at healthcare systems, you know, we have an aging population. Uh, Alzheimer's rates are going up, and often with those kinds of diagnoses, you can have, um, you know, violence from resident to resident, you know, in long-term care homes, in uh, hospital settings with, you know, addictions and different things. Um, our healthcare workers are at huge risk of, uh, of violence yes. um, from, from patients, from residents, um, and freedom from, you know, things like freedom from harassment, discrimination. Those are all, to me, health and safety issues that I think we all need to pay attention to. Janice, too, I, I want to also, from my point of view, the workplace, and people might just believe that this is the space where you go to work, um, like a building, an office place. I would also uh, say that it would be your workplace is when you're, wherever you are in the performance of your work. So, like you said, as a, a worker, you went out into the back roads, and that kind of place would still be considered a workplace as well? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're going into a, you know, a remote area where uh, access to, you know, emergency services in the event of some kind of crisis happening, that would also heighten the potential risks that uh, an employee might face. Oh, for sure. And I'm thinking of, uh, you know, again, an aging population. We have a lot of, uh, there's a, a real push to do community health care as opposed to the high cost of hospitalizations. And so you have many workers, you know, personal support workers, nurses, um, going out into people's homes to provide that kind of support. And there's a lot of hazards there, whether it's, you know, um, 
pets sometimes are can be um, concerning the the cleanliness of the home. Um, you know what kind yes. of hazards you may be exposed to that way. There's a, there's a lot of uh, considerations when you're looking at people um, not having uh, the bricks and mortar kind of office to to go to, and the travel to get here and there. And when you have roads in northern Ontario where it's been mm-hmm. privatized to different companies to uh, to clean up, and some of those standards aren't there anymore. And especially too when you're traveling in you know seasons such as winter, when mm-hmm. there's oh, yes. a higher probability of a concern with because of the uh, Weather conditions. Well, I can't imagine. I have family from uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and the winters there are just out of this world. And I, and I guess it's the same up in Sudbury. It's always colder in Sudbury than it is in Sault Ste. Marie, I find. It is. There's a bit of a wind there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. yeah. So I can imagine what it looks like when you're trying to get your job done and there's all these obstacles in the way. It could bring conflict into the situation, yes. So how yeah, can of, conflict... A lot of stress already when you're coming back from the job and you, if you're going back to an office and if you're going, you know, in and out to different client homes and you're coming yes. back to the office and you want to come back to a safe environment that supports you um, and your needs. question is, is how do we create that, right? How can mm-hmm. conflict in the workplace generally affect people? Let's talk about that. To me, I think it really depends on the nature of the conflict. I think that there is such an, an animal as healthy conflict. Um, I mean, conflict is basically one, um, you know, a different position coming against each other, right. uh, different points of view. And I, I think that there, if you have healthy conflict, um, healthy debate, you know, working on conflict resolution, you can actually grow as a person. You get, you know, there's mutual learning involved, there's skills improvement. Um, the problem to me where you go from healthy conflict to toxic conflict is when when power and control um, when that enters the equation so when you have when the need to win or the need to be right yes. uh, gets into that equation then suddenly you get into you know bullying intimidation personal attacks you know manipulation undermining isolation all that stuff name calling um, and when you have that, I think that, that how it affects people um, is all the negative effects that you would expect. It's stress, you know, compromised health, people feeling that they're, they don't matter. Um, you know, you, you really start to question yourself. When, when somebody becomes in, comes very invested in winning, in, in exercising power or control over another person uh, or the situation, um, there's no good end to that. So I think when you're looking at conflict resolution, you need to move beyond uh, right, who's right, and become more invested in in understanding the other person's view and what can I learn from this and where can we go from there and how do we find, you know, common ground or mutual beneficial ground. You know, in in the workplace too, as we talked about earlier, the diversity in, in that space potentially and you know, there's all kinds of people with different personalities and different mindsets, and there's also generally a hierarchy, whereas you talk about power and control, where somebody of one level tries to exert that on somebody who they know is of uh, a lower level, we'll talk employee level, and, you know, it creates or reinforces a culture that if there already is some kind of disparity, 
in terms of the communication and the atmosphere and the culture, that that can be, uh, you know, deeply affected. Yeah. As soon as you're economically dependent, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, in a position of economic dependence, it puts you in a position of vulnerability. And, and people who wish to take advantage of that uh, are in a good position to do so in that environment. So, um, Je- Jenny, have you ever experienced conflict in the workplace? I have experienced conflict in the workplace, and um, I very much um, listen to Janice, and I'm nodding as, you can't see it on the radio, but I'm nodding as you're speaking, Janice, and um, I've seen and felt, been in toxic situations where, yes, I'm dependent economically, and I need to be in a certain, in that certain position. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be toxic, and you do feel ill, literally physically ill when you go to work because you know that you're, f- you're going to be facing conflict and it's not for the betterment and the change and idea, exchange of ideas and um, for the good. Or positive or conflict. Or positive conflict, right? Um, so let's talk about when conflict goes unresolved and unaddressed in the workplace. What can tend to happen? I'd like to talk about that because I know what's happened to me. I have... Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. I've also been in a situation um, where I was in a a bit of a toxic work environment, and I think when things go unresolved, when conflict goes unresolved or unaddressed, it gives a message to all the employees that this is okay, and then bullies become more dominant. Um, And I think some of the end results of that is you... You get more sick time. Uh, mm-hmm. Employees become disengaged, and a disengaged employee is is not what an employer wants. Um, you know, you may have exercised your power over that person, um, but then they're not going to care as much about their work or be as invested in the company. And um, productivity goes down. You know, you end up with a poisoned workplace where people are, are not being productive, they're spending more time, you know, um, comforting one another behind mm-hmm. closed doors, you know, right. to say, oh my gosh, did you hear what the boss said this time? Or the, the co-worker who happens to be, you know, this isn't always the employer um, being the problem, but I do think that it, um, in terms of leadership, the, the employer sets the tone. And yes. they say this is what is okay. Um, you know, I was a single parent for um, quite some time, and, and my message to my children when they were having conflicts or, you know, arguing or something over is, you know, we don't hit in this house, we don't, you know, and uh, that was just sort of the, the, the tone. This is, in this house, we are safe. We can talk about things, we can cry, we can uh, hug each other at the end, but we don't hit, and we love each other, and that's what we do. We figure it out and you, you get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't set that, that tone and expectation, uh, people who uh, don't have self-control uh, will run wild with that or, or who wish to exert power and domination. So I think that that's the, the, the real danger is if you're not nipping that in the bud, it's going to become a culture and become entrenched. Well, what if it's the top of the top that has this... Um behavior so let's say it's your boss's boss and it's a trickle-down effect right so it's okay um, to be acting this way and then 
the next person is going to act this way, and it's just this trickle-down effect to the employees. So it's, let's say it's a director to a manager, and then the manager treats the employees that way, and there's a turnover, but nobody does anything about it because that's okay. We just need new blood, right? Yes. And it, it just it continues and continues. Well, I think if you're talking about, you know, big business or corporations and stuff, they have to really look about, you know, what kind of reputation they're developing and um, the cost of employee turnover, which you're going to have at some point, um, whether it be by people leaving or people getting sick mm-hmm. and, and not being at work. So um, I think that there's a, a real... Um, uh, I- impetus on on the uh, on the employer and the board of directors and the, the shareholders and stuff to ensure that you're putting good people in place um, that that the bottom line uh, you know your profits or whatever um, really depends on you having a healthy workforce. Okay, well, talking about a healthy time. workforce, um, most when we talk about health and safety, because I'm as- I'm actually on PTA at school for health and safety and. I have been at work also on health and safety, and we only talk about the physical, and we do not talk about the emotional, um, the mental and emotional things that can happen to an employee or all of us that work there in that workplace. It's really about the physical when we talk about health and safety. So I really want to focus on the emotional part and what that might look like and how to identify that when somebody is struggling and what the things that we can do to help that along, right, and and make it better. Janice, also I wanted to... um mention about the relationship of conflict space or settings and relationships because a lot of things when they may happen at the workplace do we keep them there or do we carry them from the workplace to our other relationships so home our intimate relationships our friendships and also when things happen at home for us do we not carry those into the workplace with us so if one setting is affecting, another one can be affecting as well? Oh, I think it permeates everything. I mean, we, we spend, you know, most of us about eight hours a day. If you're at a full-time job, it's not a shift work job, um, you know, with, at, at the workplace. So it becomes, we often see our coworkers more, you know, more so than we see our children or spouses during the, um, you know, during the work day at least, mm-hmm. and it's it's a huge part of our day, and and um, you know our experiences there absolutely carry over. And if things are not going well in the home, those things we bring into the workplace as well, and it makes it hard to focus and 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 that kind of thing at work. So, you know what you know what Jenny was saying before the break around some of the emotional stuff that we don't talk about. I I've worked in in uh, all of my career has been in helping profession and in um, you know human uh, people work people work basically mm-hmm. and uh, you know some of those organizations are kind of the worst offenders <laughs> for, yeah, yeah. For, for acknowledging you know health and mental health uh, you know talk to anybody who works at uh, a hospital or a healthcare setting there's huge amounts of, of uh, toxic relationships and stuff that happen there are toxic um, issues or environment or you know the, the atmosphere of the culture um, I, I think it's great to say yeah we care about mental health and we promote mental health but um, it really takes strong people who 
you know, people admire to stand up and say, yeah, this happens to me. I, I get depressed sometimes. I, I get anxious. Um, in order to really, uh, for people to change and break down some of the barriers that we have around that. Um, you know, as a counselor, when, when people that I talk to who dealt, struggle with depression, um, I would compare their depression and, and they, you know, there's such an aversion to taking any kind of antidepressant medication or whatever, mm-hmm. and I understand that they have side effects and, and I'm not a medication pusher by any means, but, you know, I would compare it to, uh, imagine if you, uh, you wouldn't tell somebody who's diabetic, um, you know, to, you know, just, just uh, wish it away, just, you know, tell yourself to produce insulin, <laughs> but something like, uh, you know, depression where you're not making enough serotonin in your brain or it's not staying around long enough to do its job to affect your mood, um, we would tell a depressed person, oh, you know, just think happy thoughts. Um, there's, they're both biologically based health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not making enough insulin to break down sugars versus not making enough serotonin to, to thwart depression. Um, but yet there's that moral judgment around the mental health stuff. Um, I, uh, one of the things that my union at the time was, was doing was promoting uh, the uh, PTSD uh, for first responders being an automatic um, presumption under the uh, Workplace Safety and Insurance Board um, regulations. Mm-hmm. And I had a petition that I was going around and I was at a um, police function and, you know, I was getting people to sign the petition uh, who were interested and, um, you know, a couple of the brass were there, the, the higher-ups, and it was like, well, I can't put their name to a petition. They were, but they, yeah, they're the same ones promoting mental health in the workplace. Okay. And I'm thinking, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this affects all of us. Why would you not um, put your money where your mouth is? You know, it, people, you know, say one thing, and then they actually do another thing that sort of undermines or is so counter to what the public persona is. So. Well, and it keeps it keeps people in silence. Yeah, the, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to speak out about it if I don't see other people speaking out about it. And, and it also, if the hierarchy is such that creates that kind of uh, feeling in the, co- in the in the workplace, then others are going to be apprehensive or concerned if they do speak out about anything that it's going to be ignored or it's going to be repressed or suppressed in some way. And especially if they, if those people face any kind of repercussion, right? You know, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, social isolation, we're going to cut them off, or they can't have it, or you know what I mean, that kind of a thing. The next person's not going to speak out, right? Well, with all of that in mind, how do you define an occupational health hazard? To me, it's any hazard um, that can be an exposure, like my McIntyre powder miners being exposed to the aluminum dust. It can be a process, um, the environment, the culture that compromises worker well-being and security. So anything that that can potentially affect their health and well-being and, and sense of security is, is an occupational health hazard. So conflict in the workplace, to me, is an occupational health hazard. Mm-hmm. So, like, with regard to the McIntyre powder, that's a physical um, entity in some form, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Conflict, per se, is n- there's no physical. Uh, it's more emotional, mental, spiritual, etc. 
So how how can you how can you how can you identify it though, to quantify it in some way? Um, I think people need to name it and and say out loud, this is an unacceptable behavior. Yeah, but at what point do they do that? Or could they do that? Mm-hmm. Because there's issues of power. Well, and I would say to for Janice as well, that is part of the issue too, the lack of the ability of people to feel that they can. They have the power within to speak out and of about things. I mean, for me in my situation, yeah. I unionized. That that was one of the situations, and, and um, that's where it got down to. If we felt that we had had a voice um, with the board, um, or if the board, you know, had had an access, uh, we would not have unionized. But that process really wasn't in place, so we found a, a way. To be able to come to the table, um, and 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 have those conversations in a in a formalized setting, um, and it allowed us, you know, there, it, there was initial difficulty with the fact that we unionized and that sort of thing, but that mm-hmm. settled down, and and now there's it's it's a more respectful process, I think. Um, so we created what wasn't there before, and that um, allowed us to be able to have the conversations that were difficult um, and to be able to say I, I feel this way when you do that <laughs> I feel this way and this is how I would like you to please approach me in the future um, and it's, it's hard to do um, and some people um, including myself um, would struggle with that I at one point when, when things were bad I went home and I was you know in tears and feeling anxious and my you know, and, and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm so worried, I'm going to lose my job, I, you know, you won't love me anymore kind of thing, and all of those thoughts that go through your head. And, and you know, I said, this person has, has, has power over me. And my husband looked at me, and he said, she has authority over you. Right. She doesn't have power over you unless you give that to her. And that was a real mm-hmm. game changer for me. Because there's a difference between authority and and power, and I think power is what we give away mm-hmm. for fear. Um, and authority is more the structure of the of the workplace. And you can, when you have somebody who's in a position of authority who perhaps misuses that or doesn't uh, address conflict in the workplace or or whatever, I think it's important to remember that um, there are checks on authority. There's, you know, a Ministry of Labor, um, you know, that can uh, get involved in terms of labor standards if there's if there's concerns about about that. There's, um, you know, Bill 168 about about you know, workplace harassment. Yeah. Yeah, harassment. There's other avenues out there that can check that authority, um, but the power part is where uh, we have to really work to support each other in um, in. Uh, recognizing that this person may have authority over you during the workdays, and you have to, you know, respect the authority to an extent. But that when the, that authority is, is improperly exercised, that there are avenues available to us to pursue. Well, workplace conflict happens a lot. It's all the time. It may be constant. So again, earlier we talked about positive, which can be healthy and for growth and development. And there's the negative stuff. When does the conflict in the workplace cross the line to become quantified or 
classified as occupational health, as a hazard. To what point could that be? For me, the, the moment that it poses a risk, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the point where it's actually contributing to compromising the worker's health, but when it poses a risk of or actually contributes to compromising the worker's health and well-being, whether that's acutely, like right here and now I'm feeling sick to my stomach because you're, <laughs> you're yelling at me, or, or the chronic sort of cumulative effect, like the, the kind of thing that we see in like a PTSD where, you, you know, you've dealt with something for so long. And, you know, people come, you know, as Greg had pointed out earlier, from different places. So if you are living in a place of, you know, domestic violence at home and you come to work and somebody's, you know, raising their voice to you, that's going to affect you differently than somebody who is coming from a, you know, a loving, supportive home environment. And, um, and I think so it, there's an individual factor to that as well. Um, you know, there may be levels of uh, conflict that people can cope with better than, um, than the next person. So I think at any point that, um, that it, it compromises a worker's health and well-being are risks of that, that, uh, uh, you know, you're looking at, um, I think we need to name it as an occupational health hazard. The reality is, I'm not familiar with, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of any um, workplaces that actually define conflict, workplace conflict, as a occupational health hazard or any uh, insurance coverage yes. that would say, okay, I can make a claim because I'm experiencing, quote, workplace conflict, and now I need to draw on my benefits. So why would this be a, a real need now to consider workplace conflict as such? I, I sort of have two mindsets to answer that. Um, I think that this should have been there all along. As, mm -hmm. a, as a kind, connected, caring human being, that part of me would answer that, we just simply ought to want to protect one another from harm. Like, period. It's, it's that simple. Play nice in the sandbox, <laughs> you know? Um, but more sort of worldly experience, cynical me, uh, recognizes that we don't always have workplaces that are governed by kind, connected, caring human beings. Right. And in that environment and given those realities, uh, I would answer that failure to consider workplace conflict as an occupational health hazard and the failure to protect workers from that uh, conflict poses a massive liability to the employer. Um, when you think of something like the Me Too movement that's going on right now, um, people got brave. There was a, there was a huge culture of, of harassment and, and sexual abuse and, and, uh, and that sort of thing in in Hollywood and in other environments and until some, you know, brave uh, individuals stood up and said no and suddenly you, you started to see people in positions of high power, high authority um, being axed because, uh, as they should be, um, because it's a liability on, on that production company, on that um, you know, television show or whatever, mm -hmm. um, when people sign up together and band together and say, no, this, this is not okay, <laughs> it never was okay, and things have to change, that, that makes a huge difference 
for um, for moving the culture um, from a place of conflict to a place of of safety. Um, when companies and CEOs and, and shareholders start to think, gee, my profits might go down mm-hmm. because of this, which is a horribly cynically way to look at it. We should be taking care of each other as human beings. That, that should be the uh, standard to go to, not, quote, the profit margin, though. We understand Absolutely. businesses do measure things accordingly. Well, that's exactly where I was going because I work with statistics a lot, and I work with quality assurance. So when I'm thinking about, okay, calling your you know, uh, employment assistance uh, provider, they c- how to quantify you know, conflict in the workplace and, and emotional well-being you know, what questions do you ask in order to say, yep, yep, you, you fall under this category and I'm going to pay your claim. It's, it's really difficult, right? Like, how do you quantify this and say, yeah, okay, you qualify for this benefit? I mean, in employment assistance programs, a lot of them do have um, availability for psychotherapy and this type of stuff, but it's very limited. You know, how do you quantify conflict in the workplace and, and that emotional um, instability because of it? To go back to Janice's thing, yes, this whole scenario of this kind of behavior has been going on for eons and eons mm-hmm. of time. And for whatever reason, it has been normalized as being the approach and the culture. And for whatever reason, too, more recently, when someone voiced something, it became through the Hollywood well. situation, it became more pronounced and more profound. And then, as you see over time with other people in different settings, circumstances are coming up that people are talking about that have been going on for years, okay, decades yes, ago. But then I go back to the whole idea of economic dependence. So it's complicated. Why would it be important for us to seriously consider this at this time? And yes, we should have done it a long time ago. Yes. Uh, you know, the whole thing for me is to provoke people to start talking about certain things that people kept under the lid mm-hmm. and you know it's all about part of this program here is about social change creating those means within society and systems of society that would be more inclusive of especially of its diverse nature well yeah i think naming it is the first step to changing it so if we're you know to to speak to the question is seriously considering why is it so important right now we have to name it and talk about it in order to recognize it and do something about it. And, you know, what Jenny was saying about, you know, how do you even quantify that, I think how it has been quantified is, is that um, it it gets downloaded onto the worker. So the worker gets depression and anxiety and, and stress-related health issues, um, and then we look at it as a worker problem as opposed to a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for us to talk about the kinds of um, uh, issues that lead to a poisoned work environment and how to to change that. Well, why is it important to seriously consider workplace com- workplace conflict as such? Yeah, and I mean that's um, you know as you said, if we don't if we want to change um, the organizational culture, it's really defined by what we tolerate. Right. And if you you know you'll end up with people who are disengaged, low mm-hmm. pro- productivity, increased time and some of the physical and mental health consequences on our system are, are huge um, you know when stress goes up cardiovascular issues you know things like heart attacks and high blood pressure and strokes and 
those kinds of things go up, sleep problems, uh, which again puts people in a compromised position to, uh, you know, on lack of sleep to, to go into work and handle things well. Anxiety, mm-hmm. substance abuse, all of those things. Okay. Um, well, what type of change needs to happen for workplace conflict to be considered and defined as such an occupational hazard? Um, to hazard. my mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and again, sort of cynical me looking at the, mm-hmm. the cost, but I find that people don't take action unless it costs something um, until they can look at the economics of it. Uh, and when I'm saying people, I'm, you know, government and um, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think doing mapping work on, you know, what are the costs of this? So if we have a toxic workplace environment uh, with lots of conflict, what does that cost the system, the economy, the, the human health cost, the social cost? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does it contribute to increased smoking and drinking and, and things that people do to kind of cope? And then how does that translate into dollars to the healthcare system? And then when people start going, wow, this actually isn't good for us, <laughs> you know, um, apart from the, what you would hope would happen when they would say this isn't just good for human beings, it's actually not good for the economy or any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think holding accountable organizational leaders who, who create and who tolerate or fail to address occupational conflict um, and recognizing that it's, it's uh, a liability to continue, you know, business as usual. That's what I think is going to make a difference. You know, the, the thing for me is that I think a lot of this data that we would need to sort of ad- identify and then quantify mm-hmm. has been available. It's just we haven't looked at it through that kind of lens to say, hey, conflict and correlated to all these other lived consequences and impacts and effects on people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, moving forward, great. I think going back to is important in some way because I think that can help validate why it has been ever-present and be a foundation for it to be redefined now and established and put into, quote, benefit packages for people, employees, the reality, too, is that there are many people who are vulnerable, who don't have a union, who right. also work in a smaller environment and don't, quote, have that sense of power that they f- might feel to voice themselves. Well, especially when you're dealing with, like, temporary workers, foreign, you know, migrant workers, Migrants, those yeah. kinds of things. It, it, they're in a horrible position to do anything. What can, we, what can you suggest for people who are experiencing this type of conflict? that can be considered as an occupational health hazard? Well, unionizing is certainly one one way to sort of rebalance the power and control dynamics, at least to give you a voice and a process uh, to, to resolve conflict in a way that there's an outside eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, document things, uh, keep a detailed record of interactions, witnesses, that sort of thing, just to protect yourself um, if you're having those kinds of interactions. Support, I think, is huge. If I didn't have my husband at a time when I was going through it, I don't know what I would have done. Um, You just need to to talk to people who are supportive, um, sometimes healthcare provider, um, documenting that as well um, is is good. Uh, Increasing your coping skills and healthy coping skills as much as possible. Sometimes, you know, I used to tell some of my, my counseling clients, sometimes you can't change a situation 
but you can change the way that you relate to the situation, how much time or investment. I think it, it's human nature to want to to want people to like us and to want to be in situations where we feel that there's a fair, just, um, you know, uh, way of functioning. And sometimes when you're just recognizing that this is this this person's toxic, I'm not going to be able to change them, <laughs> um, why not put my time and energy into the people who love and support me rather than trying to figure out why this one particular manager or coworker or whatever um, doesn't? And uh, as much as you can sort of redefine that and stop in investing, if you, you know, um, I had a friend once that told me you can't make sense of crazy. <laughs> you drive yourself crazy trying to make sense of it. So when you have somebody who, who is, is uh, behaving in ways that are outside of the norm, just recognizing that they're behaving in ways that are outside of the norm and that this is not normal life and reminding yourself of that because you can, you can get caught up in, in, you know, that this is normal and it's not. Mm-hmm. And I think stating that out loud and, and calling people on their behavior as much as you can in a, in an assertive way, rather than engaging further in the conflict, but in, 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 in an assertive way. And sometimes it comes down to making a personal decision to leave a toxic environment, whether that's an abusive situation at home, at work, um, you know, and, and sometimes that's a, a sort of the eventual way of having things change when people can't keep employees. Um, you know, at, at some point, the shareholders or board of directors have to say, what's going on here? I know. So we got to close out. The thing is that many times employers and employees, they're in denial as well. So they're not going to take the steps. Again, that's also a factor in why people make certain decisions and don't make others. So we got to say goodnight. Thanks very much for being with us and sharing, and uh, we'll speak with you again soon. Thank you. Well, I bye-bye. really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having right. me. Take care. Bye. Bye.